Matthew 5, we're ministering on the Sermon on the Mount. And verse 21, we are told in, in, the, in the 20th verse, rather, I say unto you that except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. We ministered on this last week, and the emphasis was upon how that the Pharisees put an emphasis upon the little things in life, the tithing of honest mint, coming, wearing phylacteries, extending the borders of their garments, praying to be seen of men, and so forth. And they avoided the weightier matters of the law. They followed the outward letter of the law and its final consequence, but failed to teach the people to deal with those things that would lead up to those issues. Jesus said in verse 21, he said, for example, here concerning anger, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, and I raised the question, who is the who is he talking about where he says, you've heard that it was said by them. Who's the them? Well, the them that we're talking about is the religious leaders that they didn't have Bibles like we have today to whereby they could go home and read things on their own, study the Word of God. They had scrolls that were handwritten, and they were written in a language that was not common in the day. After captivity, the Hebrew language was, uh, it wasn't lost, but it wasn't common. Greek and Aramaic was common in the day. And the scrolls were written in Hebrew. So when you wanted to know what the word of the Lord was, you went to the synagogue and the, and the scrolls were opened up and a minister would stand up and he would read from a certain text and then he'd stand there and he would speak on that text. That's why Jesus held them accountable, because instead of reading everything that was there and expounding upon what God said, they would make their own commentary up according to what they wanted. And that's how legalism developed that and other things. When Jesus came along as a teacher, he taught the an emphasis upon, especially here, the things that would lead up to those problems, those sins that were here mentioned, like in the law. When he deals with anger, for example, when he deals with murder, rather, he speaks here, for example, about how that we are not to get angry. Anger, rage, hatred, those things that are uncontrolled, they can lead to murder. In fact, it has led to those things. The only thing today that keeps those things in check is maybe the law or maybe someone, for example, that is bigger and stronger than an individual. I mean, an individual that has a bad temper might be more apt to control his temper if he was about to lose his temper with someone that he knew was going to beat the tar out of him. I mean, you can see this especially in things like infants. I mean, there it's not not unheard of that people, for example, have gotten angry and upset and irritated at maybe a baby crying. 
I mean, men, for example, sometimes boyfriends, sometimes fathers. I've uh, we've heard a lot of it more in regard to like boyfriends of women and so forth. That a baby, an infant, it can be irritating if they're cutting teeth, and you can hear the the constant crying, and nothing wants to settle them down. We've all been there. I've raised seven. You're raising kids. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes they just don't feel good, and they're and they can't tell a person well what is going on. But if an individual is sitting there trying to watch a football game, or maybe they're uh, really wrapped up in their television or their computer or something of that sort, it's not not something that is a necessarily a real rare occurrence when somebody gets angry and upset and abuses that infant. And because they can't defend themselves, and if nobody else is there to stop them, sometimes it's resulted in infants being brutally injured and sometimes death. Anger leads to those things. And so Jesus, he was stressing that if we're going to keep the commandment of God, thou shalt not kill, then we got to start to control things at the very beginning, lest they get out of hand. And so he started out with things concerning like that of anger. You see, we're not free under grace to ignore the law. We've dealt with that in great detail. Romans 3.31, the Apostle Paul made this statement. He said, "Do we uh, is the law exempt now? And he, he went on to say, no. By faith we establish the law. We are to fulfill the law, but we're to go we're to go beyond that. We're to be obedient to the righteous principles of the law. But we do that by following the teachings in the New Testament, which deals with the heart, the spirit, the motive. Real quick turn in your Bibles but hold your finger there, Matthew five, Colossians three is just an example. You wouldn't hear, for example, the religious leaders in Jesus' day standing up and emphasizing things like the Apostle Paul did in Colossians chapter 3. You would hear them say, Thou shalt not kill, because they were comfortable with that. They hadn't killed anybody. I mean, anybody in this room, I doubt that anybody in this room has ever killed anybody, so you'd feel real comfortable standing up here in the pulpit and telling people not to kill anybody. But if you had a problem with your temper, if you had a problem with your tongue, I mean, Jesus went on to say, whosoever shall say thou fool, whosoever shall say raka is in danger in hellfire. Anger, profanity, hatred, mean-spiritedness, and so forth, those things need to be brought under control. You might find where some would have a difficult time preaching that because they had a problem in that area. As I said, and this sounds like a scratched record, I ministered in places where people got upset for me just suggesting they couldn't get upset. Uh, psychologists had evidently brainwashed some people into thinking that we're like some kind of a pressure cooker, that we've got to release a valve to get all that out of us once in a while, and that's not normal. I'm not a pressure cooker, and neither are you. We are not called to let off a little steam once in a while as something that is natural behavior. It is not natural behavior for a Christian. And we need to learn to control it. Listen to what is said in Colossians 3. We're not to let off steam. We're to crucify it. Put it to death. Colossians 3.1 If you then be risen with Christ, do you declare yourself to be a Christian and born again? And you're risen with Him? He's paid the penalty for your sins? Then seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. 
Set your affection on things above and not on the things of this earth. For you're dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you'll appear also with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, or put to death, crucify. Crucifixion isn't fun, fun. But by a positive act of your will, you just determine that you are not going to let the flesh have its way, and you cast down the desire to do something contrary to what the Word of God says. You cast down the desires of the flesh, that is, getting angry and so forth. We'll talk about another subject here in a moment, which is lust, which has to be dealt with the same way. We're all tempted to get angry. We're all tempted to lust. The way to deal with it is firmly, harshly. It is to, to do as like, the, like Job said concerning lust. He said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a maid. It's just to determine in your heart, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am not gonna look at that. I'm not gonna blend in with that conversation. I'm not gonna get caught up in that and turn away from it. The same thing with anger. It is to inwardly say, I'm not gonna lose my cool. I'm not gonna lose my temper. I'm gonna listen to the Holy Spirit and I'm not gonna make a mountain out of this. I am not going to, I'm gonna deal with myself and bring it under control. Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. We talked about the wrath of God was God's anger. God can express anger. We can't. God does it righteously. We don't. But his anger will come upon us, his loving anger and chasten if we don't control our spirit. He goes on, in which also you walked once sometimes when you lived in them, but now put off these things. Put them off. Not spew them out. Not be a pressure cooker and hold it in. Put it off. Deal with it. Refuse to bring it forth. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. It's a progression that he's talking about. It starts out by getting angry, and you don't deal with it, and then that anger becomes more ventilated. And if you don't deal with that, then it becomes malicious. Now you're beginning, beginning to say, Rakan, now fool, and then blasphemy, because oftentimes when a person begins to get angry, and they begin to hold that bitterness in, and they begin to start spewing out uh, criticism towards someone, oftentimes you find the name of the Lord begins to start coming out as well. That they feel like they can use God's name in vain to ventilate and express their anger. He says, Line out one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. He just simply says, Put it off and put on Jesus Christ. You have the power because you're born again. You have the power because you know the Word of God. You have the power because you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. There is no excuse for it. God expects us to repent, put it under the blood, and determine to control our attitude. If that means that if you find that to be a problem, that means shut off the television, shut off things that you're occupying your time with, and start sowing to your heart the seeds of the Word of God to remind you of what is expected. Under grace, God expects more from us, not less. He expects us to deal with themselves. 
Put on, therefore, the new man which is renewed in knowledge. Just exactly what I was going to say. After the image of him that created him, there is neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but we are all in Christ. Put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humility of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, as Christ forgave, then you forgive. Put on the bond of love. He says, put off the anger and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes. Jesus said that we are to deal firmly and harshly with those attitudes. Why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 51 and verse 6 that God desires truth on the inward part. Now go back to Matthew 5. Coupled with this, he came along, he said he spoke about anger, and then he went on and he began to deal with another area that evidently was common in his day, and that was lust. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27, same idea. You have heard that it was said by them of old time. In other words, he's referring back to the ministry, the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers that would be expounding upon the word. He said, you've heard them talk about thou shalt not commit adultery. They'd heard that. And they were quick to bring a woman who had been caught in adultery to Jesus to see whether or not he would stone her. And Jesus, you recall, wrote down upon the ground, bowed down, and then he looked up at them and he said, He that's without sin, cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. Because they knew what he was about to say here. They knew that maybe they had not actually engaged in physical adultery, but they knew that they had engaged in mental adultery and that they were not free from from that sin. And just as Jesus was showing mercy to them, mercy to this woman, he went on to say that he had not come to destroy, but to show mercy. Anyways, Jesus goes on here and he says, You heard that it was said of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, that whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery already with her, in his heart. Now he's taking and picking upon the men, but it could also apply to the women as well. I've had women tell me that they've had problems in that same area as men do. So he's talking about adultery and the things that lead up to it. Like unlike Uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled lust can lead to sexual sins. Adultery, rape, homosexuality, fornication. The Bible speaks over and over again. It uses fornication and it speaks out against it. Fornication is the broad term. Adultery is a part of fornication. But fornication is all sexual uncleanness. And the Greek word that it comes from is the word pornea, which we use today as pornography. Men and women that get caught up in pornography are committing the sin of fornication. What does God say about the sin of fornication? Well, listen to a few places with me, like here in Romans 1, for example. 
and verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up. He'd been talking about some other areas in which sinful man who knew what was right chose not to do what was right. And he went on to express a whole lot of those things. Like verse 21 says that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but were unthankful and became vain in their imagination. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. For this cause God gave them up under their vile affections. You see, God gave us a body. He gave a man a body that was designed in a certain way. There are not 50 different models of a man. Man has one body, and it is just like every other man. The same thing is true with women. He didn't produce 50 different models of women. There's one, every woman has all the same equipment, and that is to have a baby, and to nurse that baby, and to bring forth that baby. And a man has the body to whereby he has the ability to produce children in a marriage relationship. We all have a body. And God didn't give a man a body so that he could dishonor it by showing it off to women in the world. And he did not give a woman a body so that she could flaunt it around to all the different men in the world. Men were not given a body to whereby they could flaunt it to all the men in the world. And women were not given a body to whereby they could use it to flaunt it to other women in the world. That's what he's talking about here. It is a vile affection. They want to do that, they're sick. He goes on to say, for this cause God gave them up to their vile affections. Something that's been happening for thousands of years. But we won't find God's blessing on our life if we participate in it. He says, for even the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. I mean, nature, I, I like to photograph birds. I like to study birds. In the spring of the year, when the birds come out and they begin to start migrating from the south to the north, the beautiful bird is the most colorful the most beautiful, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the beautiful bird is the male. It's the most colorful. Because of anything, it's going to attract the enemies of, of that bird, like the, uh, the birds of prey. It's going to attract, between a male bird and a female bird, it wants to attract the attention of the raptor away from the weaker of that species, which is the female. God made them that way. And so it was a, a means of protection that was there. And he's saying this thing, this has become reversed and changed to whereby now women want to draw the attention of other men unto themselves. They want to say, look at how sexy I am. Look at how uh, sharp and good looking I am so that they will get the eye of a man to whereby they want that man to lust after them. Women are just as guilty 
as the man that lusts after the woman, the woman that dresses and presents herself in such a manner that she wants to attract that, is just as wrong, just as guilty. I know that this kind of attitude, and all that I'm going to lead up to and say, you'd find where a lot of people would say, oh, you sound like some kind of a Puritan. Is there anything wrong with being pure? We could have a lot more Puritan ministers today in the pulpit, I'll tell you that. We could, we could, we could afford a whole lot more in this country than what we've got. Because I, I'm afraid that there are just a whole lot of men and women today getting caught up in this kind of thing to whereby they are giving in to seducing spirits and doctrines that are not according to the Word of God, but according to, as the Bible says in the latter days, demon spirits. Well, we've got to control these things. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. I didn't continue to reading all that, but, uh, but he gave them up. I guess I could read while I'm here. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. I mean, it isn't that the knowledge isn't given to them, but when they hear it, they say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to listen to that. Even like they did not want to retain God in their knowledge, God said, okay, if you don't want to know, then I will tell you he gave them over to a reprobate mind. And you can see uh, the reprobate mind that is coming forth more and more in the 21st century when it comes to these things. I'll bring that out a little bit later on. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, uncleanness, maliciousness, and on and on and on, who knowing, verse 32, the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, they not only do it, but they also have pleasure in doing the same. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 18, Paul writes here, he says, flee fornication. Just like when it came to anger, he said, put it off, deal with it. Here he says, Flee fornication. Turn away from it. Nobody's standing there holding your head while you gawk at some person of the opposite sex. Nobody's standing there handcuffing your hands behind your back to whereby you can't turn the channel. No one is standing there sitting on your lap or preventing you from getting up and leaving the room or even just walking away at some of the filthy stories that somebody maybe is telling at work, he says, flee from it. Get away from it. Walk away from it. Every sin that a man does is without the body. Most things he says, you know, they're without the body. What he's talking about there is that they don't, um, they don't affect the body. They're just... Uh, he's dealing with what I said earlier. But he that committeth... Fornication is sinning against his own body. The reason why is because God gave us a body for a reason. He didn't give us male organs and female organs to be used for fornication, but to be used for the gift of sex that God gave in marriage and the procreation of children. We'll go back to Matthew chapter 5. The attitude of purity and avoiding fornication. These things are oftentimes rejected and laughed at by people today. 
the quote of one college student may kind of summarize the thoughts of some of these people. I found this in my study, and it was back from the 1950s, and this college student said, he said, quote, look, just because some old man came down from a mountain one day and said, you shall not commit adultery, why should I let him spoil all my fun? It's just a natural God-given desire. That was 60 years ago, by the way. That was stated in the 50s. We've come a long way in the wrong way. Like one cigarette commercial used to talk about women's liberation and how they'd moved to their own kind of cigarette. One of their advertising phrases was, you've come a long way, baby. Well, they, people have come a long way in the wrong way. In the 50s, when Hugh Hefner first published Playboy magazine, it was a national scandal. It was a national scandal. But today that magazine is about as acceptable as Time or Newsweek. People quote from it on a regular basis. Recently, though, he took it off of the stock market, bought out the uh, owners of stock on it, or at least he's in the process of it, and he wants to bring it back to being a private business. And the reason why is because he's having so much competition from the Internet. Pornography is reaping billions of dollars a year in income. And I've done some research on this, and some of the things that you see here are from news agencies and so forth. This came from one of the large news organizations. Pornography has grown into a $10 billion business, bigger than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. And some of the nation's best-known corporations are quietly sharing the profits. Companies like Time Warner and Marriott earn revenue by piping adult movies into Americans' homes and hotel rooms, but you won't see anything about it in their company reports. They wouldn't do that. And you won't hear them talking about the production companies that actually make the films or the performers, the producers hire, men and women as young as 18, for sex that is often unprotected. You know, I thought to myself, years ago we used to call people barbarians that would sit in the arenas and watch men fight like gladiators to whereby they would fight with one another to the point to whereby they would severely harm themselves, severely injure themselves, even sometimes to death. So what do we call men and women today that sit around and watch pornography on the Internet or at, at um, adult bookstores and so forth, that we take pleasure out of men and women engaging in sexual conduct that is unprotected and that can lead to diseases and lead to death. If we're so concerned about the AIDS epidemic, why aren't we striving more and more to shut down the pornography industry that's becoming more and more rampant in this country? If you want to stop a sexually transmitted disease, then let's start promoting the family. Let's start promoting marriage for what God intended. And, of course, you know they don't do that. But that's where it ought to be. We ought to go back to stressing how that abstinence is something that should, should we should be striving for, not 
looking for ways to protect sex outside of marriage, which can only lead to evil consequences because many times people will not use any kind of protection. We have an industry that is making billions of dollars a year and it's spreading to cable television and to the internet and yet their employees are considered to be throwaway people. That's a quote from Surgeon General, former Surgeon General Everett C. Coop. Another finding that I was researching on, some of the key findings of the effects of pornography are like this. First of all, in regard to the family and pornography. What Jesus said 2,000 years ago, he was stressing in the Sermon on the Mount to deal with lust because it would lead to adultery. Then he went on to talk, uh, and the next thing that was covered was in regard to divorce because he knew that fornication and adultery would lead to the breakdown of the family and the marriage 2,000 years ago. Here we are today. Sociologists, psychiatrists have emphasized that they're seeing this trend really take off. They're seeing things um, changing in the last 50, 60 years with what some have called a sexual revolution. So this individual, he wrote, these are direct quotes from him, he brings out the ill effects that pornography is having upon the family marriage. Married men who are involved in pornography feel less satisfied with their conjugal relations and less emotionally attached to their wives. And wives notice and are upset by the difference. Pornography use is a major pathway to infidelity and divorce. And it's frequently a major factor in these family disasters. Among couples affected by one spouse's addiction, Two-thirds experience a loss of interest in sexual intercourse. Both spouses perceive pornography viewing as tantamount to infidelity. And pornography viewing leads to a loss of interest in good family relations. These are men that counsel with men and women that are having marital problems, that are going through family problems, that they're trying to keep things together, to keep the family together. These individuals, I'm sure, have counseled with hundreds, if not thousands, of individuals. So it's not like this one man maybe just counseled with some one person and then came up with these things. He goes on to say the individual in pornography. Pornography is addictive. Neuroscientists are beginning to map the biological substrate of this addiction. It is, addi it is addictive, just like a drug. Users tend to become more desensitized to the type of pornography they use. They become bored with it, and they seek more perverse forms of pornography. And again, that can be seen in ways that I don't want to get um, explicit about. But Playboy magazine, if one it would look at something from the 50s and compare it with today, it was nothing back then. I mean, most things were darkened out and blacked out, but because of, I can't remember the guy's first name, but it was Larry Flint. Back some years ago, I believe it probably would have been about the 70s, was stressing freedom of the press. And at some point, the government came out and said, okay, it doesn't matter anymore, anything goes. And when that cut loose, 
then all the America American printing presses, and then later on the Internet, began to spoo out as much filth as they possibly could. Men who view pornography regularly have a higher tolerance for abnormal sexuality, including rape, sexual aggression, sexual promiscuity. Prolonged consumption of pornography by men produces stronger notions of women as commodities, as nothing more than sex objects. Pornography engenders greater sexual permissiveness, which in turn leads to a greater risk of out-of-wedlock birth and sexually transmitted diseases, and these in turn lead to still more weaknesses and, dis and debilities. Child sex offenders are more likely to view pornography regularly or to be involved in its distribution. I know of a man, I work with a man who recently was got in trouble. Mayor of a local town here. And he was texting some pornographic pictures to 13-year-old children. He thought it was funny. He thought it was funny. I mean, that must mean that somebody's mind isn't right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the uh, the... The effects of it must not have been, he must have been so deadened sense-wise in his conscience that he thought it was funny that he was passing it around. Most normal men would say, that's trash. I'm not going to show that to another person or child. But just like the Apostle Paul said, the conscience can become hardened and seared. And obviously here, Something that was um, once, well, it just, I don't know how to describe it. Other effects of pornography? Many adolescents who view pornography initially feel shame, but it's diminished self-confidence, sexual uncertainty, but these feelings quickly shift to unadulterated enjoyment and regular viewing. You know, you know I, I, I cringe to think that we've come into an era with cell phones to where by now what is popular is a smartphone. I mean, if you have a phone like I got that all it does is just dial up a number, you got a, you got a dumb phone. You know what I mean? You know, the guy that invented the phone wasn't dumb, but we've had dumb phones for the last, what, hundred and some years? I don't know when Alexander created the first one. But when Steve Jobs came up with one that would do a whole lot more, and probably and it really didn't start with him, but it popularized it with the iPhone, that would do a whole lot more, now you can do all kinds of things with a telephone, include cruising the Internet. And here we have parents that just because it's the in thing, start throwing at their children phones that give them access to the Internet any time, day or night, if controls aren't put on that, it's just going to get worse and worse. Listen, parents. You better, if you're going to get into things like that, you better put some, some protective things on it to whereby you can control your child when they're not around you as to where they go and where that, what they search on with that. And there are many programs out there to do that. The presence of sexually oriented business businesses significantly harms the surrounding community. 
leading to increases in crime and decreases in property values. The main defense against pornography are close family life, a good marriage, and good relations between parents and children. If you want your children to grow up right, then spend some time with them. Be around them. Know what they do. Instill your values upon them. Instill the values of Jesus into their heart. Coupled with a deliberate parental monitoring of Internet use. Traditionally, governments have kept a tight lid on sexual traffic and businesses, but in matters of pornography, that has waned almost completely, except where child pornography is concerned. Given the massive delirium, whatever that word is, individual, marital, family, and social effects of pornography, it's time for citizens and communities and government to reconsider their laissez-faire approach. That means just a whimsical, lazy, lazy, who cares attitude. Of course, we would expect that because this is big business, then the pornography industry is going to fight back, and they do. And they put out just as much of what they call data to disprove what I said, to disprove, to make it sound like it's acceptable and okay to engage and partake of their product. This is just one, for example. The article came out of Los Angeles and it says, the notion that hardcore pornography is addicted and even worse, a corrosive hazard to individuals, families, and society is running headlong into studies conducted by noted researchers that show precisely the opposite. <coughs> that hardcore pornography is good for you. A blog post written by Dr. Gad Sad, <laughs> even the name gets you, didn't it? On the Psychology Today website makes just that argument, citing two recent studies, one including one conducted by Gert Martin Hald and Neil M. Malmuth. And he said, Hald and Malmuth found that respondents construed the viewing of hardcore pornography as beneficial to their sex lives. Their attitudes toward sex, their perception and attitude toward members of the opposite sex, and toward life in general. So that was like, you know, it really made things happy for them. What they did was they interviewed 688 Danish college students. Well, that's like going to a university overseas and taking an interview among college students to see whether or not the marijuana that they're smoking is acceptable and okay. Obviously, college students are going to be probably the prime targets and, and everything else of pornography. And so to ask them how it's going, they're just living it up to the hill. They haven't suffered yet the family breakdown, the heartache of divorce, the sexually transmitted diseases. They haven't had, they haven't gone to find the other counseling sessions that these other individuals have had to get into to understand the other side of the story. They're in the prime of life. So why is all this happening? Why? Because it's the end times. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, whether Jesus comes in the next few years or not, it doesn't matter. But he said, 
in 2 Timothy 3 that in the latter days certain things would occur. There's a verse somewhere in the Bible. I think it's in the book of Daniel. I didn't look it up. But I remember when I found it years ago, it said in the latter times that one of the signs of the latter times is that knowledge will increase. And I still remember that. I probably haven't read it or found it in quite some time, but it said knowledge will increase. And I think it was in the book of Daniel. And when I think about how that we have, knowledge has taken off and really changed in the last 30, 40 years. Not just knowledge for things that are better to improve our lifestyle, improve our health and improve our finances and improve our pleasure of life and enjoyment. But the, but the knowledge of sin has become also rampant. Second Timothy 3, 1 says, Know this, that in the last days that perilous times will come, men will be lovers of their own selves, they'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection. Without natural affection. First Timothy 4, 1, it says the same thing. I believe that you're seeing an increase in immorality in this country because it is the latter times. And with this increase in immorality in this country, I believe that God's judgment is only going to be stayed for a short time, friends. It's, this country is going to reap what it sows, and if it keeps sowing to the flesh, it's going to reap corruption like it's never seen before. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressively that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith by giving heed to seducing spirits. Spirits that are seducing them into a number of different evils. The Bible speaks about how that it happened to the nation of Israel. How that the world around them, the religions around them, led them off into all different kinds of sins of fornication. The religions of the world practiced fornication as a form of them worshiping their gods. Sex was something, I mean, the other religions of the world had actual prostitutes that were uh, temple prostitutes. And Israel moved away from the purity of worshiping and serving God to whereby they started engaging in that kind of behavior in their religion and God judged them severely for it. He said in Isaiah 59, we've read it many times where he said, the the Lord's arm is not short and his eye is not blind that it cannot see or his ear deaf that he cannot hear. But sins is separated, and he goes on in that whole chapter, won't read it all. And he discusses with them the sins of fornication and other areas that they've gotten into. And the latter part of that chapter reads, So shall they that fear, verse 19, the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of his sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. The enemy is coming into this country and bringing forth a flood of filthy fornication. And the Bible says that when when it happens, that God will raise up a standard against it. And that standard is his word. 
That standard is to listen to these things and determine in your heart that you don't care what other people are going to do. You're going to keep your heart pure and keep your heart and mind upon what Jesus said when he said that we were not to lust, that lust was tantamount to adultery. Educators, counselors, even ministers today are misleading people in the name of love by implying that the most important thing is love. Sex outside of marriage is okay as long as two people love one another. Homosexuality is okay as long as two people love one another. They got the mentality of what I was listening to when I was growing up to the rock records that were coming out. Remember the Beatles? All you need is love. La, na, 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 na. <laughs> All you need is love. Love, And then there were other ones that came out and they said, if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. And I could, every time I hear that song, I can envisualize the flower children strung out on their LSD out in California, swinging around, going back and forth. Well, I can't be with uh, the one that I love because he's back in Ohio, so I'm just going to love the one I'm with out here in California. And all kinds of uh, fornication took place. That sexual revolution came in. Ministers ought to be standing up in the pulpit and saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones that will see God, and the ones that are not in pure in heart will not. That we've got to deal with these things and deal with them harshly. Go back to Matthew 5. The Bible says that sex is something that God has given a gift to a man or woman for a desire for that relationship, but it's to be kept in marriage. Sex is a gift from God, but it ought to be labeled handled with care, someone once said. The Bible says that Hebrews 13.4, marriage and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. How do we deal with this? Well, look at Matthew chapter 5. I won't bother reading all of Proverbs 7. I think you know we've read it from studies in the past where like in Proverbs chapter 7, he just expresses there the foolishness of the simpleton that listens to the harlot, flash out her wares, draws her into her home, and he says only as like a sheep to the, as like an ox to the slaughter. Her ways are to the ways of death. Matthew 5 Jesus is very blunt in what he says here. He says, You've heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. How do you deal with it? He says, Be firm. If your right eye offends thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. For it's Profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. Now is he saying we should physically then maim ourselves? If we have a problem with lust, should we pluck out our eyes? If we have a problem in the physical realm, should we cut off our hands? 
No, he's saying, he's emphasizing here, he's not talking about bodily mutilation here. Just like when he said in Luke 14, if any man will come after me and hate not his father, mother, sister, brother, he wasn't teaching us to hate. What he was saying was, we should hate the choice. What he's saying here is, you've got to deal with yourself firmly, harshly, seriously, Take whatever steps are necessary to stop it, to keep your eyes before the Lord pure and upon what He has what He has said, and not using your eyes and your mind to lust after the opposite sex in a wrong way. He's saying here that we are to be firm with ourselves. The word here means to covet. And to covet means simply to desire something that isn't yours. It means maybe to desire what somebody else has, their money, their title, their job, their spouse. Well, he's saying here that covetousness, whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her, the word lust means to covet, Whosoever looketh upon the opposite sex to have that desire to want to commit adultery with that person. And you're forgetting that's not your property. That person belongs to another person. Maybe they belong to another family. They belong to another parent. They belong to another husband. They belong to another wife. He says you're committing it by just having that lustful thought and daydream in your mind to do that. He says you're committing mental adultery. And doing that will only lead to the chastening hand of the Lord in your life. How do you deal with it? I am sure that if you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you should deal with that problem in your own personal experience and circumstance, I am sure that he will not ignore you and be quiet. It's a sin that occurs in the minds and lives of people. They keep it in their in their closets. And if you're in your closet praying, God will speak to you in your closet and tell you what drastic means you need to take. Scripturally wise, the Bible says in Galatians 5.16 that we are not to toy with temptation. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 he says here, oh, I'm in the wrong verse. Galatians 5.16, This I say, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust in the flesh. And that replies to what I just got done saying before. If you're serious about it, and that's what he means when he says get serious about it, if necessary, maim your own body, he's not saying we should do that. He's saying we should be serious about dealing with it. And if you're serious about dealing with it, and you are, are, are talking to the Lord about it, and you're walking in the Spirit, he will show you what to do. And the other thing I believe is pointing to this is Romans thirteen fourteen, where he says, make no provision for the flesh. Let me read it. Romans thirteen fourteen. he says, Let us walk honestly in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, chambering or wantonness, strife or envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision 
for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That means don't put yourself in a position or in a spot to whereby you're just going to open up your heart and mind to it. If you are on the Internet, the Internet can be a phenomenal, tremendous tool. But if you can't control it, cut it off. If you find that some of the electronic games that you like to play, I've seen, I've, I, I'm not a gamer, but I've seen before walking by people that are playing them, there's a lot of these games whereby more and more we see, you may as well be watching almost pornography for the way that some of these women and men are tired. If you can't find a cleaner game to play, get out of it. Find something else to do with your mind. If you find that with television, you find that it's got it, it's a source of a major sewer, then throw the sewer out. Get rid of it. You can control things. If you want the pleasure and enjoyment of some of the things that maybe it's got to offer, you can do that without having a sewer. You can line up channels, for example, to whereby when you click on one with your button, you're not going to run into some of that filthy area that would be providing you for the temptation to not turn away. You can program your television. You can program your computer. You can program these things whereby you're not going to just accidentally run into a nude picture which is going to draw your attention upon it. Take seriously the admonition and look for ways to deal with things that will help you to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Because God says, and I'll close with this, Hebrews chapter 13. The, the appetite and desire for sex is something that God has given in marriage, but outside of marriage, it's to be kept under control. Hebrews 13.4 Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Couldn't be any plainer than that. Amen? Father, a very difficult message sometimes to bring forth in a, a crowd like this. But I pray that Every person here that hears the word can receive it and have understanding where they're at to be able to apply it to their life. And may it be a seed sown that gets rooted and grounded to whereby we are people in this church that determine to walk in purity of heart and purity of mind and be pleasing in your sight. Bless the word to all of our hearts. And we thank you for a ministry that will bring it forth and not like the scribes and Pharisees that covered it up, but will bring it forth so that we can determine to walk in holiness and purity before you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.